I'm not preaching today because I've, I've had everybody come up to me, oh, are you preaching today? Are you preaching? No, I'm not really preaching today. Today is going to be teaching. It's a little bit different. There is, a, there is a, a, a difference there. What I'm trying to do is to inform you, and I'm going to continue to, to do that, is uh, conform, uh, inform you about Roman Catholicism. Um, how many here uh, used to be a Roman Catholic? Please raise your hand. That's a significant number of people. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was watching the baptisms. There were seven of them, and all seven of them came out of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, to me, uh, that is an opportunity. That, that's the way I see it. I, I see the Roman Catholic Church, Roman Catholic people as an opportunity. But I also see some folks, Protestants, that approach them in a pretty harsh way. And, and that's what we need to be careful about because they come out of it and go, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, folks. Is that the love of Christ? No, we need to make sure we, we have the love of Christ for them because they're fallen, they're lost. They have no idea what's going on. Matter of fact, every single song that we sung here this morning, you would find in a Roman Catholic mass. You would. But the words, I'm listening to the words, I'm going, wait a minute, they missed those words, they missed those words, they missed those words, because it shows that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Uh, but that's what they miss, and, and we want to inform them, but we don't have to, be, uh, have to beat them over the head. So as a little point of background, I was raised in uh, New York, okay, New York City, New York, just uh, Westchester County, so anybody who has ever been there, it's, um, I, I loved it. Um, I was in Roman Catholic elementary school, Roman Catholic high school, and Roman Catholic college. So I have a little bit of background in Roman Catholicism, okay? I stopped going to the Roman Catholic church when I got to high school. I realized there's something wrong here. I didn't know what it was wrong, what was wrong, but I just said, no, not only that, but I was wrong. And I, <laughs> I was a bad kid. <laughs> so I figured I can, uh, I can abandon this. While in elementary school, I was an altar boy. Okay, and so we had that in fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, something like that. And so I knew how to do the Mass in Latin. That's, that's how far back I go. I had no idea what I was saying. But I did it in Latin because I'm re responding to the priest when he's saying things. Nobody else knew what to say because they didn't know Latin. And uh, in my senior or my eighth grade, I happened to be president of the altar boys. It was kind of nice. Um, it, it came with some perks, but um, the thing is, is that when you're there, it, uh, when, when that year came, it was 1964, and you had to then speak in English. Wait a minute, I got to learn this in English now? I got to memorize this whole mass in English? No, that wasn't for me, so I gave the other altar boys the opportunity to be altar boys. So it, it's, it, it's the thing that you, you, you live with in a, in a Roman Catholic church. The one thing that if you were Roman Catholic and everybody who raised their hand would say this, the Roman Catholic Church is the one true church. I heard that when I was in elementary school. I heard that when I was in high school. And I heard that one even when I was in um, college, that the Roman Catholic Church is the one true church. Brian, why don't we show that? And by the way, you can also see that it's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'm doing uh, PowerPoint. Yeah. Yeah. I've not converted to PowerPoint, but I am doing it for this lesson, just so you know. Okay? Roman Catholics with the true gospel, that's what we want you to have. We want you to see that. Historically, the Fourth Lateran Council in the 12th century affirmed, listen to this quote, there is only one universal church of the faithful outside which none will be saved. That's what they say. And folks, that hasn't changed today. That's what the Roman Catholic Church says today. Yes, the Pope may meet with, a, uh, with, with some uh, other religions and say, you know, you're part of us or that. That's not what they believe. He may say that, but that's not what they believe. You can see that throughout the, the centuries and how they've affirmed that particular belief. This was reaffirmed by Pope Boniface in uh, the, uh, the eighth, 
1302. So you have it again. And then in 1854, Pope Pius IX declared this, quote, it is to be held as a matter of fact that no one can be saved outside the apostolic Roman church. It is the only ark of salvation that anyone who does not enter it must sink in the flood. That's what he said, and that's 1854. It's almost like last week. You know, it, uh, compared to church history. The one true church, through the seven sacraments, dispenses the ability to be saved. Now remember, that's how they do it. That's how they hold a Roman Catholic in the church. You have to have the seven sacraments in order to be able to be saved. They're not saved. You speak to a Roman Catholic today, they they would say, oh, I may go to heaven, I may not go to heaven. It depends upon whether they fulfill all of the sacraments all of the time. And and some of them don't even realize that that is what their um, doctrine is. Um. At my mother's funeral, I asked the priest when I got there, because my mother was Catholic, she was getting, we we're going to have a, a mass, and, and I, I asked her, is my mother saved? Oh, yeah, yeah, she's saved. Oh, yeah, she's going to heaven. Then when he did the mass, he said this, and we need to pray for Alice because she's in purgatory. Why does he change it? Because he wants people to buy masses, in other words, give money to the church to be able to get her into heaven. Because that's what happens. You buy the mass, you have it done in her name, then they they get money to help them get to heaven. That's what the church was built on. Going to the history here a little bit. In a book called The Reformation of England, I learned uh, England, Scotland, and Ireland were originally in the early days Christian. They still remained Christian. And they did that for a, a fairly long time. Um, they were isolated from the rest of Rome. Rome used to send missionaries to England to try to convert the Christians that were there and, and make them into Catholics. Uh, so number one, I think we can go to number one there, Brian. The system, okay, go on to the next. Okay, all right, this is the history. The first 200 years. We know the first 200 years. Basically, the apostles and the and uh, those who came after them soon after them were bringing the word of God to those who were in the world. They were um, bringing the scriptures to them and teaching them what the scriptures had to say, even though they may not have had the full scriptures. Okay, I want to say that because that wasn't all put together. The gospel of salvation, they needed to hear. They preached the word in season and out of season and were often persecuted and martyred for their faith and their beliefs to the point of death. They baptized those who were truly converted. They distributed communion as a symbol. Please make sure you understand that. Early church, they would give the communion as a symbol, okay? The Catholic Church says something different. The church that Jesus Christ and his followers founded was a gospel-centered church offering salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That was what the early church did. However, the Roman Catholic religious system placed great value on tradition, and their tradition brought them away from that understanding that it was just a symbol. Um, uh, Let's go to point number two. Okay, well, that's a little bit faster than I wanted. (laughs) The apostles and disciples were scattered throughout the Mediterranean world. Uh, It's interesting. When I was in India, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, uh, I went to a city called Madras, Chennai. If you're from India, you know the difference. They changed the names when the British left um, that colony for um, whatever reason. And I was there with Chris Williams, and he took me to a place. uh, He called it St. Thomas Mount supposedly Thomas, the apostle, went to St. Thomas Mount and brought the gospel down there to Chennai and to to Madras. Could be, I don't know, uh, but that's what the apostles did. They scattered and they brought the the gospel all over the world. Did he actually get there? I I don't know. I can't uh, disagree with it. Supposedly, he brought a picture with him, and guess what the picture was of? Mary. Mary. 
I got to tell you, I've been to India. I wouldn't be carrying around a picture of Mary. That's, that's not what you do when you go to India, bring a picture of Mary to try to convert people. Um, there's plenty of other things you can use, but not that. Uh, up to this point, the world outside the Roman, Holy Roman Empire was barbaric. Uh, you look at 10, uh, 200 um, AD, and it was totally barbaric and pagan. The worst of sin. Uh, I just finished reading a book called Epoch, and, and it just talks about the barbarism that is in the world, and frankly is still hanging around. But uh, there was barbaric world out there, uh, and the Roman Catholic Church was, or the, I should say the Roman Catholic Church was right on the cusp of that. In the year 313, that's now we can go to the 313, after nearly three centuries of persecution, the Roman Empire was changing. There was persecution on them. There were, uh, you know, you, you see the Roman, um, uh, where they used to put them in, 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 and they used to have the lions eat them and put them on fire and all of that kind of stuff. That would happen in the early days. Constantine became emperor. He became emperor through treachery, obviously. There were threats of the, to the empire from the rising tribes of barbarians that were on the outskirts. They had the uh, um, Visigoths and all kinds of tribes that were on the outskirts. And um, they were always invading the Roman Empire. And it was becoming more and more difficult to protect the outer provinces. There just weren't enough men. There weren't enough of an army to do that. And in the midst of this threat, the society was feeling good about itself in Rome. They were having a great old time. It was years of prosperity, years of ease, somewhat like the United States of America. just want to give you that warning that you can see that there is a close uh, association there. We feel good about ourselves right now. We've got, you know, all kinds of things. But it started to go awry, as it is today. Uh, the society as a whole was actually falling apart. Do you think that's happening here today? Mm, could be. Uh, uh, there's all kinds of hedonism that was helping that Roman society fall apart. There's all kinds of hedonism today that's making it fall apart. Sexual perversion had become a new god of Rome. Sexual perversion has become a new god of America. I mean, I, I, you can't even watch a football game and, a, and, and they have a halftime uh, a thing where they got um, devils up there and all kinds of things. It's crazy. What, what are we doing? It was in this degenerate society that Constantine took power, but he needed help from the society. How am I going to control this? And it's much like today. Constantine realized that the worshipers of Jesus Christ, the true worshipers of Jesus Christ, they were not partaking in the collapse of the society. They were actually good citizens. They did good work. Christians had proved themselves to be honest, proved themselves to be hardworking. Constantine was advised that he needed the Christians to help establish order in the Roman Empire. So what did Constantine do? He became a Christian. That's what he said. Through shrewdness, cunning, he wooed the Christians to believe that he had converted. He converted by a vision, and now he's a, a Christian. Uh, by the way, folks, that wouldn't be the last time that a politician lied about their Christianity, just, just so you know. I don't know of anybody, but, you know. Um, Constantine gave the Christians money to help them build churches. Pro persecution's over. Uh, he helped to elevate Christians to high positions in the government. The only thing that that did was to bring about corruption for those people. You know, when you get a lot of money, you start, oh, I can live much better, and I think I'd like to do, live much better. And then you start to compromise and all of those kinds of things. That's what began to happen. The temptations abounded, and many fell to worldly lusts, and that is the Christians. The Roman Catholic system really started when Constantine, that is the Roman emperor, supposedly converted. And when he converted, he converted 313, uh, I should say 337 is when he converted. At his so-called conversion, he made all the existing Roman lands into the Holy Roman Catholic Empire. That included East and West, 
The yeast hadn't broken off yet. The yeast is still there. Uh, if you were a Jew, if you were a Muslim, if you were a pagan, you must convert. If you did not convert, there was one answer to that. They take your head. You're dead. 7,000 people were murdered in one event by Constantine because they would not convert. Many who were truly pagans converted. I mean, people who worshipped um, idols converted. Uh, they were um, just worshippers, but worshippers of these pagan uh, things. Thousands upon thousands of frightened pagans and barbarians from the outlying areas of the empire were baptized. They were just baptized. You're, you're a Christian now. These mass baptisms took place without genuine conviction of sin or repentance. They were not truly Christians. These masses of people knew nothing about the teachings of Jesus Christ. They knew nothing of, of true salvation. For these pagans, Christianity was a means of survival. Hear that? that was, it was a means of survival. That's how they were able to keep their families from being murdered or killed or whatever. Many pagan temples were converted into Roman Catholic churches. They just took the, the pagan temple, converted it into a, 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 um, um, a church. It's, a, it's, a, a, it's just like ludicrous that you would do something like that or even believe that that can happen. They brought their gods, they brought their goddesses in the mix of worship. Pagan priests who claimed conversion brought their various means of worship into the church. They brought in something, incense. I don't know if you've ever seen that in the Catholic church. They have this incense as a Catholic uh, boy, as, a, as an altar boy. I had to fill that thing up, make sure there's enough incense in there to murder. And they, they would do that thing. They'd walk around the church and, and they'd use that. That's from paganism. They brought that into the church. Um, they used to have burning of candles. You know, you see that in the Catholic Church. You see candles there. You used to put money in there to burn the candles. Well, as a, a lost young man, I used to like burning those candles whether I put the money in there or not. You know, it's... Matter of fact, I take one or two for myself. These pagan priests actually became the leaders of the early church. They became the priests or the leaders, the, the ministers of the early church. Pagan ancestor worship became the prayers for the dead. That also was in the Catholic Church today. They have prayers for the dead, as if you can pray for somebody to get them out of purgatory and get them into heaven. These pagan priests um, uh, used pagan charms, uh, and, and they were uh, used as a venerate. They, what they would do is claim that this particular relic a piece of wood, was the cross that Jesus was on. And if you pray to this and you give us money, then you will get indulgences and get into heaven, those kinds of things. Holy days of the pagan religion crept uh, into the church, and I hate to say it even around this time, but Christmas was then declared uh, Christ's birth. By the way, that's not when Christ was born. I, I hope you understand that. Um, uh, as much as we, we celebrate that, and I think it's wonderful to celebrate that, that's not when he was born, and not on January uh, 7th either. For, for Is it 7th? 6th? 6th. Wow. I didn't realize that Trump and, and the Eastern Church had the same thing. That's not when he was born. And, but the idea is that we're still celebrating his birth. And that's what you need to remember. You can celebrate it. You can enjoy it. You can give gifts on that day. You, you don't have to be, some Christians just don't want to do anything with that date because they realize it's not the day. No, you have to do something. Rome became the center of religious thought, became the center of religious leadership. Uh, in Rome, they declared the place where Peter passed on his mantle as the first pope. They said when... Uh, when uh, uh, Peter died, he passed it on to the next man and the next man and the next man as being the Pope of, uh, uh, for the church. Donna and I had the privilege of being able to go to Rome, 2002, I think it was. And so we went down to the catacombs, you know, because we wanted to go underground. I think we were with George and Anne. I think you showed up. Uh, we ran into you in, in Rome. And we go down the catacombs, and we're going on this tour, 
And this guy says, yeah, I, I, there's this man's body there, and he's, he supposedly was a bishop or whatever of Rome. And, and, and I said, what's his other little body next to him? Oh, that's his housekeeper. I said, wait a minute. Who gets buried with their housekeeper? That was his wife. <laughs> they didn't want to say that because they're not supposed to be married. Well, yeah. <laughs> you have to be a, a former Catholic to know <laughs> what they're trying to say. Oh, it, it, it's funny, folks, that Roman Catholicism, with its emphasis on the Pope, the bishops, began to invade the church. That was what was important, is to set the leadership in place. This grievous transformation took place most particularly in the East, Africa, and in Italy. That's where it took place. The recognition of bishops and cardinals in the hierarchy of the church began to replace devotion to Christ and his word. It began to be that you had to be devoted to that bishop, to that priest, because that priest, that bishop, was going to get you to heaven, not because of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done. Britain was not fully transformed, I mentioned that before, until the 7th century. Within Britain, there was, were places of worship and devotion to Jesus Christ with no recognition of Roman, uh, and Roman um, uh, worship, Roman Catholic worship. However, Rome kept sending missionaries. Rome kept sending people to uh, England, Ireland, and Scotland to try to convert those people to what they believed. It was a sad day, obviously. There was an ancient pagan custom of eating and drinking the literal flesh and blood of animals and birds that now influenced the change in the remembrance of the death of Christ. The symbol that we celebrate, we'll celebrate that, I think, the 21st, I think we have communion. We celebrate it as a symbol of what Jesus Christ has done. They celebrate it, believe me or not, that it's the actual death of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm, I went, wait a minute, how many times has he, has he died to try to save us? He only needed to die once. If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, you'll figure that out real quick because it says it there quite often. In the vacuum stood the Roman Catholic Church with all of the problems that were going on in the, in, in the uh, world, which, it, to its credit, preserved and promoted education and knowledge. Yes, they did do that. They, they wrote and they copied things down. They preserved books. They did all kinds of things like that. But nevertheless, they always championed uh, popery in the Roman system. Yet the Roman church, in many cases, became chained to the pagan rites. That's what, they, what, what happened. The rituals that came out of paganism were brought into that church. Such things as the Mass. When I went back, some of you know that I went back to see my brother. He has cancer of the lung. And I'm, I'm, they're, they're Roman Catholics. And, and, and I said to my sister, well, can I... Uh, pray or can I do this? Well, what you do in your mass? That's what she said to me. You, your mass. I went, what? I mean, I have not heard that in 40-something years. But that's what she understands what we do. is It's, it's a, just a different kind of mass. And I said to her, no, no, it's not the same thing. But that's what they think. They have these rituals um, um, that uh, there's a separation between the clergy and the laity if you see a Roman Catholic church, they have an altar there. That altar is to separate the people from the priest. I, I always wondered about that when I became a Christian. And I'm, I'm in a church here and I said, there's no separation. You know, they're, they're the same. That's what we are. I'm no different than you. Pastors are no different than the people. And if they start claiming that, you go to another church. So we have those kinds of things going on. There's adoration beginning of Mary. And they see Mary as, I, I would say, even today, she's almost a co-redemptrix. She is almost equal to Jesus. I mean, one time she may have been down here. But today, she is like, she is co-redemptrix. You have to go to her too. As a matter of fact, that's what they say. Go to Mary. She's a woman. She can speak to her son. My goodness, it just, it's just so, there's such a, a craziness to it. That's when saints became uh, in, in the picture. 
And I began to have saints, saints that you could also pray to. Confession to the priests. That is probably one of the most hideous things that you would ever want to have. You know why? Because the priest began to take advantage of people. He would hear something in the confessional of some sin that they have, and he'd start to take advantage of those people. Because, number one, they're not even saved. They're not Christians. You'd have confession to the priests, and um, they would have the authority whether to forgive you or not. And if you didn't do all that they told you to do, they wouldn't forgive you. Um, (laughs) A dear friend who many, many, well, it's got to be 50 years ago, he had a priest over for dinner to his house. It was on a Friday when, in those days, you couldn't have meat. So he's serving a, I don't know, tri, not a tri-tip. He's serving uh, some kind of fish. And the, and the priest says to him, I, I want steak. And, and he says, well, but, but it's Friday. We can't, eat. we can't eat meat. He says, I'll change it into fish. That, that's, that's how corrupt... Okay, even to that little thing. I still like fish anyway. Um, Faith as a way of salvation was corrupted into following pagan rites and rituals. That was the idea, that you followed their pagan rites, their pagan rituals. The church had also become rich. They had a tax on the people. It's called Peter Pence, and that you had to send money directly to um, uh, to Vatican uh, in Rome. When Donna and I were in Rome, we went to the Vatican. We wanted to see what it was like when we go into the church. And I, Donna can tell you, I got upset because I saw gold, silver, polished uh, marble that was probably expensive and all of this. And I said, that's what they wanted it for was to build this church and my my parents didn't have enough to feed all of us kids, and they're sending money to them. What in the world is going on here? They should be putting, taking all those things down, and and feeding the poor. That's what they should be doing, but they're not. Um, as a matter of fact, I was in a country, uh, and they may still have it. I'm not sure, but the country up until at least five years ago, six years ago, when I was there in Croatia, they take. out of your paycheck immediately. They deduct it and send it to the Catholic Church. Now, I stayed um, with Todd, and I stayed with Chris, and you go near a Catholic Church, there's nobody going in the Catholic Church, but they're taking out 10% of every worker that's in the country and sending it directly uh, to Rome. And they become wealthy, uh, they've made the force to be dealt with uh, because they own so much land. It's incredible. They own a lot of Santa Barbara area up there um, that they just have their um, sign on that you can't buy until they have to pay off all of the suits about child molestation. All the wealth just brought more corruption. That's all it did. The Pope was often involved in Uh, setting up kings, deposing of kings, those kinds of things. He made the choice. Most non-Catholic historians would say that the Roman Catholic Church was established in 590 A.D. So it wasn't until uh, quite a while later, until 590 A.D., under Gregory I, who consolidated the power and and put the seat of power in the Roman Empire, uh, in Rome. Um, Political corruption and immorality uh, at the seat of leadership reached unbelievable heights. I can't tell you. I can't even imagine all of the things. You can't even write a book of filth about all of the um, hedonistic uh, sexual sins that they had. Uh, Pope Alexander VI, he provided his, his children, listen to that, his children with much wealth and power that were gained from the position as Pope. Um, I was asked often, were any true believers around at that time? Were any true believers around? Were they hearing the gospel anywhere? I mentioned about uh, Ireland and England and uh, Scotland where they have some. There was an island uh, and it was called Iona. Do you know what college I went to? Iona. 
I mean, it just, it's, it's scary. <laughs> but there was this island where there were Christians and that they were sending, it was a seminary that was sending men to Ireland and Scotland and, and to other places with the true gospel. But they kept invading it and kept invading it until eventually um, they took them over. It's like the story that John MacArthur told us once that there was a um, seminary up in Scotland and one man came in with errant theology and the next generation was totally hypocrites, was totally against. It, it can happen, folks. You just have to be very, very, very careful. It was a place of true teaching that is Iona and training of real ministers. Um, however, because of the fidelity uh, to the gospel, it came under attack from Rome. That's why it came under attack. It was a true Bible teaching church and seminary. The Roman system could not allow this to go on. How can anybody tell the truth? Rome was in fear that people may, may read the New Testament. And as a Roman Catholic, having gotten saved 40-something years ago, first act that I did, or one of the first acts, my wife and I, we just remember talking about it last two nights ago to some folks. And we went to Catholic priests to find out, should we read the Bible? One Catholic priest said, oh, no, no, that's dangerous. Another one says, it's not going to do anything. The third one would say, yeah, you can read it. It's good literature. So you get that kind of an answer from priests that you shouldn't even be doing that. Roman Catholic beliefs such as indulgences, infallibility of the Pope, transubstantiation, purgatory, and many other traditions that find no basis in Scripture were formulated during this time period. Many who opposed the church were silenced, and they were silenced by death. Uh, Grosset is, was a reformer and was uh, irritated with the system that was being uh, created by the Pope. And Grosset's obedience to the word of God forbade him from going uh, uh, along with the Pope. Guess what happened to him? He was killed. John Wycliffe began preaching against the Roman system. He was taken out of the church, and that was in 1360. Erasmus, John Knox, John Huss, Martin Luther were just some of the clergy openly defied the Roman system. John Huss was excommunicated and executed in 1415 in Czech Republic. Uh, I had the privilege of being able to be in that country and going to his church, which was really not his church because it was bombed in World War II, but they redid the church. Uh, and um, uh, he was uh, uh, against, obviously, the Roman church. There's another man. His name is Savonarola. He was a preacher in Florence, and he preached against the Roman Catholic Church, uh, and he was executed in Florence. You can find his little plaque on, on the ground there in Florence. Um, but let's take a, a break from all of this history, because I know all of you are not historians like I am. Would you open up your Bible to John 3.3? 3. John 3.3, 3. all true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are made up of those that are chosen, that are chosen of God. And you say, well, well how did you get chosen? I, I didn't do anything to get chosen. Matter of fact, folks, they still ask the question, why would he choose me? There's no good reason to do that. But he did. And that should be the same thing for you. But in John 3, 3, it gives us a, a clear picture of you have to have faith. You have to believe. When I was talking to my brother, that's what I said to him. I said, you have to have faith. And he went out and had a cigarette. And he has lung cancer. So you see, there's just a hardness of the heart, a hardness of the mind. They don't want to listen. John 3, 3 says this. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I said that to my mother 25 years ago. I don't know what it was. She started yelling and screaming at me. She did not want to hear it. I, I said, Mom, I, and she's yelling and screaming at, like, like she had never, ever done before. She took off 
and, and I called her as soon as I knew she was going to be home, and I talked to her. I said, Mom, I'm going to talk about the gospel whenever you ask me a question, because she liked to ask me lots of questions. But that's what you need to hear is the gospel. She didn't ever, I don't think, ever, unless it was on her deathbed, and I was giving her the gospel again as she was dying in a hospital back in New York. John 3, 3, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Look at that, that as well. Romans 10, 9, and 10. You need to have faith. Romans 10, 9, and 10, it says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do you know what you've done right there in that one little section? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that means he's master. He's master of your life. You are to follow him and the words that he says. That's what's important here. That's what we need to get. That we confess him, mouth, we, that your mouth confesses Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, even being in Israel and looking in the tomb there, and uh, I, I put my head down to look inside the tomb and the fellow behind me said, he's not there. No, he's not there. I know where he is. I know where he is. For from the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Totally unlike the Roman Catholic Church. That's not at all what the Roman Catholic Church would believe. You have to do works. You have to do prayers. You have to do this. You have to do that. Your salvation and what you do after your salvation is a result of what God has done in your heart already. Don't look at it, oh, I got to run to the, I got to go pray, I got to do this, I got to. No, no, you should want to do that. That should be part of your makeup of who you are. You want to go and honor Him and love Him and, and worship Him. You don't do it out of a duty, you do it out of this is what is in my heart. Um, verse 13, let's look at that. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and I've used that for lots of people. All you have to do is call upon his name. All you have to do is name as Lord and Savior. And you are a Christian. But that means he has to be Lord, Master. You look at, at Matthew chapter 7, which we looked at a, a few weeks ago, well, a few months ago. And Matthew chapter 7 says they are not a Christian because they don't do the things of the Father. That's the issue. You're either going to do them or you're not going to do them. You're either going to live for self or you're going to live for Christ. That's the difference. You're making the decision there in, in the way you live. He already made the decision of whether you're saved or not. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Eleven and twelve. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. Roman Catholics need to hear that. There's no salvation in your Pope in your priests, in your Mary, in your saints, in your incense, in your holy water. There's no salvation in that. That is ridiculous. Then why would Jesus have to die? You have to see him as your only means of salvation. And let's look at the last one that I had just jotted down before I came. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I love this passage. Well, you can go and see what you used to be in Ephesians chapter 2 and in verse 1. You are dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were you dead. Um, I did my sister's funeral, I don't know, five years ago, eight years ago, whatever it was. And they had her body behind me. Remember, she's Roman Catholic. That's what they do. And I said, if I turn around and I say, Eileen, get up, can she get up? No, she's dead. That's frankly how your heart is. 
You're dead to the things of God. He has to give you that faith. And that is a gift. Don't waste that gift. Not everybody gets that gift. My one brother, I still, I don't know. I'm working on him. But go down to verse 8. It says here, for by grace you have been saved. It is God's grace, folks, that anybody is saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And he gives that to us wonderfully, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. And the Catholic Church is all full of works. Works, 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 all the way through it. I remember as an altar boy when those days were on, and and I was trying to be religious. I'd actually go to the 7 a.m. Mass. Then I would do the 14 um, stations of the cross and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I, it did nothing. It did nothing. You know, what, 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 the, <laughs> what the teachers did was say, you know, Bill needs to become a priest. Yeah. Sent me away, actually. 14 years old, sent me away, and, and I was away for, I don't know, two weeks or so, and I, I went to the authorities there, and I said, you know, it's not going to work. I like girls much more than I like this. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way I could do this. It's a system, folks. Roman Catholicism is a system. I was to three different churches, two different churches in uh, outside of it's done differently. They're not, they're not exactly the same. You know, you don't have, you know, genuflecting and all of that kind of stuff. It, it's an honoring of Jesus Christ in the preaching of God's word. The singing that, that's there. It's, it's about honoring Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Roman Catholicism is a system. And it's comprised of a mixture of truth and error. There is some truth there. You, you can see some truth. On the surface, it appears that Rome has the same elements, but it really doesn't. And, and I've had many Roman Catholics that I've tried to witness to tell me it's Christianity, just their flavor of Christianity. And I have to say, no, it is not. And the, the biggest issue is that it's not salvation by works. That's what they have. It's salvation by works. You got to do this. 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 I asked a pastor of my brother where he was going to church. I said, is my brother a Christian? Because I had witnessed to him years and years ago. He was going to church. He said, well, he drives the bus on Wednesday night. I looked at the pastor. He probably didn't understand the question. I mean, I'm giving him the benefit. I, I reworded it, and I went, yeah, he comes on Sunday, and he helps with the older people. Okay. Um, I don't know that that pastor was saved. And that's a Protestant church. It's salvation through Jesus Christ alone. They have the cross. You'll see the cross. You'll have, they have Christ. They talk about sin. They talk about justification. They even talk about sanctification. They talk about redemption. But only to a little degree, not the full biblical standard. Too many Christians outside of a solidly biblical church consider Romanism a form of Christianity, and I try to tell my friends who are um, in those kinds of situations, it's not really Christianity. I try to do it as gently and, and uh, as I possibly can. It's a system. Examine, it has been historically put together, but it's not Christianity. The system itself nullifies and distorts biblical truth by adding erroneous man-made teachings that contradict even the Roman Catholic Douay Bible. I read the Roman Catholic Douay Bible. I was asking my mother, why don't you pick yours up? I will talk to you about what the Word of God has to say from the Douay Bible. She wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it. She was scared. 
the Roman, the, the gradual development of the system called the Roman Catholic Church occurred over many, many centuries, and it became ingrained into the fabric of Catholicism. The Roman Catholic Church states that the Bible is the inspired word of God. In reality, the church would choose tradition over the Bible every time. doesn't matter what the, the Bible says. They will take tradition over the Bible every time. When Donna and I got saved, the Monsignor, who had married us, started writing to me, asking me, where, where am I at with church and all of that? I said, well, I've got saved, and this is what I'm doing. And then he'd write back. We'd go back and forth, and I would take out the scriptures, and I'd be writing the scriptures, and I'd be sending them back to him. He'd come back, and it, but the tradition is this. And, and I would say to him, the tradition doesn't mean anything doesn't mean anything. I go into all your homes, you're going to have tradition. You know, Italian tradition, you're going to have uh, Irish tradition, you're going to have Armenian tradition, you're going to have... That's nothing. The Bible. And we went back and forth, and then he finally sent the last letter to me. Obviously, you're not listening. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not listening because there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Matter of fact, the Council of Trent in 1546 declared that church tradition was equal authority to the Word of God. That's 1546. Many of the Catholic traditions, papal decrees, and councils contradict the clear teaching of Scripture. This is one of the reasons that the Roman Catholic Church rigidly regulates all interpretations of the Scriptures. Roman Catholic Church claims ultimate authority on the grounds that it produced the scriptures. They said that's what they did. I always heard that growing up. The church did that since they were inspired and they put it together. No, the Holy Spirit gave it. God breathed it by the Holy Spirit. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, not by the church, by God. The very canon of scripture was being produced in the early days that the Bible was written, was being written before there was a formation of what is today known as the Roman Catholic Church. I, I, I'm, not, I'm trying to give you a, an overall picture, but let me give you this from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said this in Toronto, Canada, in a me- message that he gave about the Roman system. That's what he called it, the Roman system of religion. We are looking at a system... And I would not hesitate to assert that this system, known as Roman Catholicism, is the devil's greatest masterpiece. If you're a Roman Catholic and you're here to visit, I'm I'm sorry, but that's what it is. You want to talk to me? Come, please. I'd love to sit down and talk with you. It is such a departure from the Christian faith and the New Testament teaching that I would not hesitate with the reformers of the 16th century to describe it as apostasy. That's pretty strong language. That's pretty strong language. And I don't think D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was wrong. I think he hits the nail on the head. If you were to use this same language of the Roman Catholic, and that's where we want to come to. If you were to use this same language of the Roman Catholic, do you think they'd want to listen to you anymore? No. I think if that was said to me before I got saved, I wouldn't want to listen to that kind of person. First of all, they'd irritate me. Second of all, I'd want to take them down, something. I don't know. <laughs> that message is that Jesus Christ is the, came to save sinners. That's what they need to hear. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. So are you and so am I. That's the only thing that's going to save them. They need to understand that their coming to faith in Christ is not them even coming to faith in Christ. It's Jesus giving them the faith to come to faith in Christ. Titus 3 5. Titus 3 5. Just and it says in Titus 3 5, he saved us. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, 
but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. He saved us. We have absolutely nothing to do with it. Why would he save us? He saves us to be his instruments now, right now, today. The Roman Catholic system means nothing. That's not what they do. They, they are perverting Christianity, if you want to know the truth. I'm going to give you one last perversion. I was in uh, Goa, India. Uh, that's where our training center is now. And um, that's on the uh, west side of India. That particular area was colonized by Portugal. Portugal was a Catholic country. Portugal goes down there and they and they colonize this and they start seeing people get saved or become Roman Catholic. But if you go down there, there will be a, a, a statue of Mary. But you can't tell that statue of Mary from one of the Hindu gods. They actually treat that statue of Mary just like they do the Hindu gods. They put their little things before Mary, and that's what it is. It's just a perversion. When they come into a country, they take what that country already has, and they change just a few little things. It's like, you know, there was a stone down in in the uh, um, Central America that they used to worship, you know, years and years ago. Well, when the Catholics came in, they just changed the stone and put a picture of Mary on there. I mean, folks... The only reason, okay, that I want to bring this up is that I do love those who don't know Jesus Christ. You need to love those who don't love Jesus Christ and be um, wise in speaking to them, not beating them over the head with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's not what this gospel does. When we were talking to our friends Friday night about getting saved, and, and just going over, they were asking us different things, and I, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that's not deserved. Your miracle is no different than ours. Pass it on to somebody else. Give it to somebody else. Let them see your life, your life of change. Let me pray. Father, Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for this time that we've had together. I don't even think I've cracked the surface of all of this. It's just the system. Next week, I want to talk about the sacraments, and I want to talk about other things, Lord. Uh, I pray, dear God, that these folks here, the believers that are here, would go forth and and see the, the challenge it is to bring the gospel to somebody else, a neighbor, a friend, a a relative, somebody that they work with. Give them grace in giving that gospel. I pray that you would help them. I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to see your kingdom grow in your name. Amen. Amen. Enjoy your Sunday.